Hi, I'm Vicky Browning, Chief Executive of Akivo, the network for charity and civil society leaders. Welcome to Leadership Worth Sharing, a podcast in which I talk to civil society chief execs about their careers, their experiences, and what leadership means to them. There are so many inspirational leaders working to make a difference in our sector, and I hope that hearing from some of them will inspire and challenge you in the same way I've been inspired and challenged by all the people I've met through Akivo. Today, my guest is Kate Lee, CEO of Click Sargent, which fights to stop cancer destroying young lives. We'll be looking at the lies we tell ourselves that make us feel good as leaders, what true collaboration means, why we have to be brave in setting goals and learning from failure, and how we should be better at handling the hot potato that is charity chief exec salaries. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us today. Cool. I wanted to start off just having a bit of a chat about you, actually. You've been in the sector for 25 years now? I have. It sounds a really long time when you say it like that. <laughs> it feel you, that long. What's your history been? So I did a public administration degree in Sheffield and had to do a placement year in the NHS as part of that and just really hated it and thought, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. Actually, someone at university, one of my lecturers, suggested that I thought about charities. I didn't know anything about them beforehand. But just thought, given that I'm quite creative, quite passionate about change that I might be better in a charity than in a kind of big public sector organisation. So I graduated and went to St John's Ambulance and I didn't stay there that long and then I went to Red Cross where I stayed for a very long time, uh, kind of 17 years there and absolutely adored it and then moved on to my first chief exec's role. Which is the hospice. Which is at the hospice, Mm. chief executive hospice group closer to home when my children were young, that made sense. And then started at Click Sergeant. Uh, This is my fourth year. It's been great and I have been incredibly lucky with the organisations I've been at. Really and tell me a little bit about Click Sergeant then, what, what, what's special about it? Well, Apart from the fact that you were at obviously, 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 I'm in charge. I think it's a really great organisation and I, I suppose I'm bound to say that, but I think there's some things about Click Sergeant that do make it kind of uniquely placed to, to be really good and particularly in this environment in the sector. It's quite big, you know, our turnover is in the kind of late 20 millions, which is great, but actually we employ about 480 staff. I don't think we're so big as an organisation that we feel incredibly corporate you know so I I think that makes it really special I think it's quite a feisty organization I find that our staff teams are really up for stuff and do you think that feistiness does that come from the fact that you're working with young people yeah I think it comes from that and it also comes partly from the cause I mean it's a really quite a clear-cut cause children and young people with cancer are having a tough time it's really clear to see you know our strategy is clear relating to that and feeling like you can make a difference within that as well we spend a lot of time thinking about that internal communication and making sure people feel really connected to what we do and you know that drives people to say this isn't right which is great and we have a real feel of that throughout the organization in every team actually not just our frontline service. And one of the things that we've been talking about, you and I've been talking about recently and you've been quite public about, was a moment of realisation that you had when you thought about the particular fundraising request that you've been using for years, which is that we're only reaching is it two out of three yeah. young people with cancer. Uh, and this is a kind of mainstay of how you go out and, and ask donors to contribute to your work. You, you suddenly realised that this was a statistic that had been sitting around for a long time and wasn't shifting, and that actually it wasn't acceptable just to keep using that, but you really needed to get the, under the skin of why you weren't shifting the dial on it. What have you done in terms of addressing that? Just to give a little bit of background to it, I think. So Click Sergeant obviously was 
was formed of a merger of two charities, CLIP, which is Cancer and Leukemia in Childhood, and Malcolm Sargent Cancer Care, was primarily a children's cancer charity. And then about eight or nine years ago, widened its remit to working right up to 25. When we did that, we knew at the time, the organisation knew it was going to take a while before it reached every young person in the UK. So when I came, I think I just also was kind of convinced by this narrative that we reached two out of three children and young people with cancer. It's a really good message. It sounds like one of those things you don't really question. And then actually I came along to an Akivo event. He had a great speaker and he was really challenging a small group of chief execs about the kind of either the lies we tell ourselves, but also the kind of things that become like wallpaper in our organisations, problems that got put in the too difficult box that don't get re-brought out. And we were talking about that particularly because the environment changes. So things like digital um, and the digital developments in ClickSargent have given us a great opportunity to revisit that problem, but you just kind of don't. We have an organisational value around integrity. So we have four values, more brave, confident, integrity and team. And I kind of came back from that event and said, why are we still not reaching three out of three children and young people? So, you know, you wanted time when you've had eight years, you wanted money, we've got a fantastic partnership with Morrison's that's going to bring in 10 million pounds. If we don't do it now, we're never going to do this. And really challenged the organisation quite hard. Uh, we set ourselves a target. That was quite an interesting debate as well. I think I, I set a big target, a big goal of when I wanted it dealt with. Uh, without knowing whether that could be achieved. And I think chief execs often do that when secretly they know up their sleeve they can do that and there'll be a nice happy clappy moment mm. when we all go, yes. What is the role of the leader then in thinking about those kind of goals? When you set that target, so you, the challenge I think is one thing, but the target, was that set with the exec team? Was that set with the board? Or is that just you as chief exec saying, this is my vision of what we need to achieve? On this one occasion, I set it because I wanted to get some urgency behind the problem because the problem had got stuck. So this two out of three messaging had got stuck in the organisation. So I set it partly because I thought if we start a discussion about this, I'll be told 101 reasons why it's got to be 10 years away. And I kind of wanted to put energy behind that. So that's probably not my usual style. You'll be glad to hear. Usually, certainly target setting would be much more consultative. And, and I think it's my job to kind of set the goals, not necessarily the plan. But this was a disruption. Yeah, this was an absolute disruptive tactic. Strangely enough, my director of services had come to a very similar conclusion a few days, kind of around the same time, a few days before, because she'd also been to an event that had challenged her about mm. thinking about why were we accepting this. So it's been really valuable to say. I think what we've realised since we set that goal is we had no clue why we weren't meeting the needs of the missing third, where they are, who they are, why are they not accessing our services. As you start to unpick those things, of course, you start to understand that the way you collect your data doesn't necessarily tell you who you're reaching and all those lovely third sector challenges that we have. But it's just been a great way of putting momentum in the organisation and kind of acknowledging it's hard, acknowledging we're not well resourced for picking up huge numbers of extra children and young people and saying let's do it anyway it's gathered real momentum people have been exercised by it created a huge conversation in the organization has there been any sense of resentment on it that, that actually you know we are really doing everything we possibly can on this and here you are coming in and saying it's not good enough how do you balance that challenge with the support that people need in order to take that next step click sergeant's probably in a great place because i think we genuinely are high challenge but high support and i think we've got a lot of good support 
mechanisms in place. So hopefully people know that these big challenges will lead to good conversations. So for example, I've just completed a series of roadshows. I've kind of done 11 or 12 kind of briefings around the country with groups of staff. We'll have reached about 80% of staff through those. And as part of those, we've talked about this challenge, what's hard. You know, lots of our social workers saying, I just can't take on loads more cases. I'm overwhelmed. And then saying, well, do we reach them a different way? What about reaching them through a digital offer? What about actually changing some of our the way we assess need so that we can bring more people in and maybe a slightly different offer for some, you know, more tailoring of our services? And then people have really clicked in and started innovating, saying, oh, actually, wait on. If we could do this, I could probably do that better. Mm. You know, if we could have you know, someone working outreach, that might work. Could we do this differently? I think what happens is you set the big goal. Yeah, on this occasion, it was a bit of a disruption in the organisation. And then really kind of letting people ruminate on it, sit with it, take some comfort from it, be challenged by it, and then eventually start to come up with their own ideas and innovation about it. My role as a leader through that is to not let it go. Mm-hmm. So to just keep wandering around the organisation saying, in. yeah, how is this doing? Where's three out of three gone? Where's How is that working? You know, what's the goal there? Interestingly, we're not going to hit the original target. That's a bit of a first for Click Sergeant. We didn't talk about that target externally because I did know it wasn't tested. But we're not going to hit the target. We know a huge amount more now than we did before we set that goal. There's been real energy and drive behind it. And we will hit it eventually, just not in the time scale but I haven't got a problem with that Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. probably a bit kind of aim for the moon end up among the stars Mm -hmm. we will now reach it at some point in the course of our next strategy. We've, Did you say I think the moon is closer that. than the stars? Is but, it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? That's where I get the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where I've been going wrong. <laughs> I've been like, big goal or nothing. <laughs> but I think that's a really important point about accepting... Well, it's, in this case, I don't see it as failure, actually. I mean, I suppose you could say it's failure to achieve that target within a specific time frame. But, but it's, it's not failure as, as in, you know, cocking up something massively. But it is still disappointing yeah. that you haven't achieved something. So how do you harness that into that sort of negative into a positive to continue to drive it forward? I mean, I think Click Sergeant for me has been an organisation that probably hasn't been terribly comfortable with failure. Someone once said to me, actually, in my early days, don't use the F word here. And I thought, no, I'm saying no, it's a children's charity. And then realised they were talking about failure. So I was like, wait on that. I think we don't, we're not a great organisation for dealing with that and we've been doing lots of positive work around that so one of the things I've been doing is uh, appraisals I push managers to ask members of staff what they've failed on over the previous year and if they can't tell them to push back and say you know are you innovating enough you should be failing on some things Mm -hmm. so we've again been having a bit of a discussion around that and I think things like me saying you know I know I set this target and we haven't done it but that's fine. Look how much further we are than we were this time last year. So I think just being comfortable with it myself and saying, you know, I have this kind of mantra that one of my mentors in the past gave me, which is I'm a good person trying my best. And I think I run that by myself all the time. If I was back a year ago, would I still set that target knowing that I wouldn't deliver it? Yeah, but at the time it was the right thing to do. It was done for a good reason. And I think if you've got brave as one of your four core values to pull back from setting something ambitious would not be living up to that. 
No. You kind of have to, don't you? Absolutely. And I think Brave is so important for an organisation like ours because we are dealing with lots of intractable problems across the sector. The way that families with children with cancer are treated by the state, it benefits. The the reality is if we're not brave, if we're not the organisation at the forefront saying that is wrong, we have no right to advocate for parents and young people with cancer if we're not a brave organisation and that's what they want from us Mm. so yeah I think we set ourselves big goals I think this is a bit of a changing culture to Mm. kind of set a goal and and hit it we'll hit it but not as fast as I want and one of the things that you've identified uh, something that is happening across the sector is the sense that we can't go alone can't do this alone so we need partners and we need to collaborate in order to achieve some of these goals and, and you've set up uh, or you've been part of setting up children in cancer collaboration yeah children young people and cancer which is a whole group of charities working with children yeah. and young people in different cancer areas yeah all sorts of different service delivery models i think but mainly organizations where i mean some of them are also cancer specific like bloodwise and brain tumor org but they're organizations where a large percentage of their work is driven by children and young people and, and their cancer needs and so what's the what are the joys and the, the trials and tribulations if you like because <laughs> uh, it's quite a big code i mean it's what 17 20 charities yeah we've got kind of core of what we call in founder members so a core of kind of main four members most of us but by no means all have a kind of policy function so a lot of our work is trying to not cancel out each other's voices, amplify voices. but amplify yeah. voice by yeah. trying to choose a set number of issues around the table that we really want to back each other up on but some are just also organizations that by the nature of what they do or how they work they are kind of big influencing organizations the pros and cons it's been such an interesting journey this is another thing that i just decided to do and then thought oh, i'll just do it so i set that up i'm sounding outrageously spontaneous and i'm not <laughs> i don't think i am actually i think i'm usually quite risk averse but we set this organization up uh frank fletcher the brilliant chief executive ellen MacArthur, uh, trust agreed to kind of come on board and help set this up and i've got a few kind of charities already that we work with quite closely coming on board to support. Collaboration is really, really important for a charity like Click Sergeant because we navigate into other people's services. So we don't do everything ourselves. We deliver lots of frontline services, but we also act as a kind of key signposter into loads of other charities. So I see it as my responsibility to ensure that I use the size and scale and weight of Click Sergeant to, wherever possible, make sure those charities are strong, that they're resilient and sustainable, because otherwise, where am I going to send young people when we can't work with them or, or we need someone else? So I think that collaboration is very much at the core because there's, in the nicest possible way, something in it for us as well. And also because there's a lot of children and young people's charities, we do have a problem, I think, nationally in policy and influencing work that we can be played off against each other. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to try and stop that. I think one of the downsides or something that we still have to work through is this very huge variance in size between charities that are coming together in the coalition. And I mean, I think we've got on really well in the terms of identifying the big problems we want to tackle, but actually some organizations are tiny, one-man bands you know some are kind of our size so I think there's something in collaboration about how do you genuinely meet as equal partners around the table the thing that I think it's always like the elephant in the room for any kind of charity collaboration is our fundraising we are competitors when it comes to fundraising there's no denying that one of the things that's been a real advantage for Click Sergeant is we have Childhood Cancer Awareness Month in September and last September we launched a policy campaign that we wanted to look at and we around travel costs 
a travel fund, young patient travel fund. We want the government to fund travel to and from cancer treatment in the UK because families have to travel twice as far with children as adults do for their cancer treatment. And we made a conscious decision to not put any fundraising ask to that. It was sign our petition, join our fight here. And every member of the collaboration felt that they could share that and get on board and push that policy message because there was no fundraising ask attached to it. You know, sometimes they're big decisions. Some charities just aren't big enough to think, oh, well, we'll do this without a fundraising ask. with Julia Unwin, the wonderful Julia Unwin. You were talking about collaboration in the sector and she said uh, something that really struck me. She said, true collaboration always involves some element of betrayal of one's own organisation. So actually, it is that in a sense, in terms of if you think about the organisation, not necessarily the beneficiaries. Is that something that that concerns you? If you're going to do it really, really well, there's always an element where you have to sacrifice something in order to make the partnership work? Yeah, I think one of the things to make partnerships work is you've got to be quite vulnerable. You've got to be honest and open about what you really want to happen here. And I think as a sector, we can be quite passive aggressive. So we say we want collaboration. We say, oh yeah, yeah, we must work in partnership. But actually there's all these kind of hidden agendas and charities still want to sit around tables and say, yes, but we're marvellous. And I think one of the things I would say is that in order to truly collaborate, you've got to be genuinely vulnerable about acknowledging what your charity can't do, what you rubbish at. So we've just been designing a new strategy and I had a day where I invited loads of other charities called Get Your Hands On Click Sergeant to kind of come along and we would just listen and you could tell us what we're rubbish at, what we're great at, what you'd like to see us do in the next five years, what you think you should stop, what we're duplicating. You know, and we listened to that debate and some of the stuff we clearly rolled our eyes about. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at least it started a really honest debate and we were able to kind of be upfront and say, you know what, we're not going to stop doing that. We think we've got a USP in it and this is why. And I think the genuine sense is you've got to, to be honest and open and we are the largest children and young people's cancer charity because we work with not just 25s and you know sometimes I think it's easy to or easier to maybe be magnanimous in that place when you're already got the market share you're already well established it's not like I don't understand how hard it is for some of the smaller charities to feel like they're not just constantly trying to mark their ground, keep their space, fighting off the big guys from looking. You know, I've worked for small charities, certainly been trustees of small charities that I felt that. I felt like, oh my goodness, if we give an inch here and admit that we're not great at that, you know, that other charity next door is going to swoop in and make the most of it. So I think for me, that's part of the issue you've got to just trust that you can be completely honest you've got to get some safety and trust around the table which is I think what we've been trying to work on with our new coalition for the last couple of meetings really like how do we feel with each other but it takes some leadership to do that there's something about modeling that behavior because you can't expect other people always to take the lead on that and I think if you're in a position, it feels to me, if you're in a position of, as it were, greater power, you have to kind of put yourself out there. Absolutely. And and then say, this is, so I'm prepared to do this. And that and that's modelling. Yeah. How do you want others to respond to? Absolutely. And I think it is, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it is being the change you want to see. So I think if I, I cannot come to the table saying I'm highly collaborative but actually you know don't go there in these areas sometimes it's about being honest I mean there are conversations that 
that we had with, with other players around the table where we've said like that's our area we will be taking the space there that's mm-hmm. unique to us we think we do it brilliantly and that's what we're going to do and I, I hear that you would prefer us not to or do it differently or fund you to do it instead but it's just an honest conversation about where we stand so I think that honesty becomes really key. I think you're a very great example of somebody who's practices transparency and I almost think it's because you as a person can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I am a natural no. oversharer. You're, you're not you're not so you're not you're not you're not the reserved type. So you're you're very open. You're open in your reporting of what your charity does. You're open in your own well you just said you talked about transparency and openness within that collaboration. One of the things I remember um, reading of yours before I met you was a piece you did when you were a chief executive of Mighton Hospice about a chief executive salaries. So it was yeah. one of those periodical times in, in the, the year when the press kicks off about how much some charity chief executives get paid. You wrote a very personal piece about why your staff were well paid and why you felt you earned salary that your trustees had set for you. It's a perennial thing. Yeah. I'm just interested in that as a, well, first of all, just a, just a views on, on chief exec salary. Is there, is there something as leaders we should be better at explaining why we're paid? Yeah. <laughs> Alone the level we're paid at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I read a great piece this morning. Um, so I, I read that piece from NFP this morning and I, and I really agreed with the sentiment a lot of that, which is that a lot of chief execs must appear kind of remote and not connected to the cause and therefore not valuable. You know, we're in a privileged world that we work with loads of them and we've met them and, you know, we probably feel the same, Vicky, that I've never come across one that I haven't felt was absolutely passionate about their cause, but that's clearly not the external image we're giving. Mm. I feel strongly about chief execs pay in that I think as many people in the sector do that we're trying to tackle some of the you know most difficult and entrenched problems in UK society and it needs big and confident brains to do that and it needs people who are prepared to put themselves out there, prepared to make careers of this, prepared to spend quite a long time tackling these problems. They won't be tackled overnight. I wish young people at university saw coming into charity leadership as an absolute career choice. My sense is lots of people are still drifting into careers in the sector at the point at which they can afford to do it. And that's a shame. You know, we need that diversity of of age and experience. So for me, I think pay is really important. I think we have to pay people to get them and pay people to keep them. Mm -hmm. I think we need to attract people into the sector and these jobs are difficult and complicated. What we're not doing clearly is explaining that well. We're not explaining our passion, what we drive, what we do, what you know, that kind of sense of being connected to our causes. You know, I'm quite prolific on social media, talking about what I'm up to. It's really interesting. I've talked to parents who have raised about pay. And I think because I'm very public about saying, I've been to this meeting, I've been trying to lobby this minister, I've been meeting with these young people today. And I do that very openly. When I've talked with some of the parents at Click Sergeant and the issue of chief exec pays come up, they often will say, oh, we don't mind that we pay you, Kate, but we're not, you know, those are the ones you know and I'm like they're all like me if you met them you think they're all like me you know but their sense is that because I am quite transparent about what I'm up to what I'm doing about the challenges of the organization that people get it we're just not doing that wide enough and with wide enough reach but whether it's just a nice easy pop salaries chief exec salaries are an easy pop I don't know if we'll ever deal with it 
across the sector, if I was honest. I think that visibility is really important. I was um, I was going up to an event last week, actually. I was in, I bumped into a member, a Kiva member in uh, King's Cross, and she said, oh, where are you off to on our behalf today? And I, I swear to you, that just set me up for the whole yeah, day. Yeah. It wasn't sort of, you know, what you, it was just, where are you off to on our behalf? And I just thought, oh my gosh, that's, you know, I love that. That's <laughs> great. I am doing it on your behalf. Oh, you know, and that, and that sort of sense of being, being visible and people recognising what you're doing, why you're doing it, and who you're doing it for. And you talked about your social media. You are very open on social, and you're quite outspoken. You're very you. Um, <laughs> what, and, and I mean, what, what does that, that mean? <laughs> in, in, in a complimentary way, obviously. How do you tread that line between your personal views and a kind of corporate view of what, you know, maybe as the chief executive click sergeant rather than as Kate Lee, or, or those two things the same? For me, they are the same. I know that some people will roll their eyes and say that's not good leadership practice. I think with my social media, one of the things I use as a really important rule of thumb is if you meet me in person, am I the person you thought I was going to be from what you've read about me on Twitter? I don't want a different differential in my you know it is the real me this is the authentic me like it or leave it so I am also very noisy and energetic with an opinion and everything in real life too Mm. Uh, and that's really important for me I I think I've been really really lucky in that the organizations I have worked for I have a great relationship with my board and I think I've been really empowered by my boards of trustees and my chairs to just be the authentic me. I've been, you know, whether it's look or good management, I think I've chosen roles or ended up in roles where who I naturally am and my natural kind of personal values and my personality and how I want to lead is exactly what that organisation needs and is looking for. And that's a really comfortable place and I feel desperately for colleagues that I realise are have ended up not in that position. I think that means that I've always got the kind of confidence that to have my views and opinions about things will probably roughly fit. I think there it is difficult. I mean, there are some issues. We have a great publication in Click Sergeant called What We Believe, but really does talk about kind of on lots of key issues like families crowdsourcing for funding, for treatments that might not be effective. We have a kind of organisational position statement on those that, and you know, as long as people stick loosely to those position statements, we really encourage people to have their own opinion across the organisation as well. So it's not only me. The organisation that you work for deals with young people who are facing incredible challenges around their their health. And some of that must be very gruelling. How do you protect yourself from the kind of emotional toll of working in an organisation where you're facing the sort of stories um, from young people that you, you seemingly come up against a lot? I think there's a few things. Maybe because I've grown up in this world from mentoring charities at 21, um, I certainly wouldn't say I'm hardened to it, but actually this has been my world. I started in service delivery, service development, management right back when I was 21 for Red Cross. And so I have always been around people who have got, whether it's refugees, whether it's been working with people that have had a, a fire in their home, you know, someone who's had a first aid incident through to people that were dying at the hospice, you know, and as well as now working with children and people with cancer. I think probably there's something about the fact that I've kind of developed that strength and that resilience as I've gone along. Of course, it still affects me. 
I was in Birmingham Children's Hospital just before Christmas and chatting to a, a lovely young guy who, who reminded me just so much of my own son that for the first time in a long time I thought well, I'm going to have to find a way of kind of politely excusing myself from the room and have a little weep about this and then recover and go back in you know he, he was very very similar to my own son. I think it's, you know, it isn't true to say it doesn't affect me. It's interesting that I think for me, there's more of a sometimes an underpinning effect. And the way I would describe that is when I worked at Red Cross, which was all about disasters and things that aren't planned affecting people in their lives. I was a huge saver and I used to always have a nest egg of money because, you know, I was conscious of how quickly things can go wrong in your life. And then when I left there and went to work for the hospice, which was all about kind of life can end very quickly, I became a big spender. <laughs> I was like, just spend up because you know what's going to happen tomorrow. Let's go on that big holiday. So I do think there's, I see an underpinning effect of my causes in my behaviour. But I work with incredible people. I don't worry about kind of saying, oh, that one was really tough. And presumably the upside of it is when you have breakthroughs, when you achieve something, when you can see the impact that your charity is making, that yeah. must be conversely incredibly rewarding and, and joyful. Yeah, and sometimes those things make me cry way more. So mm. this weekend we had a we have a young people's reference group where we bring young people who are kind of just about coming to the end or post their cancer treatment together and we do all sorts of kind of it's a participation piece so they hold us to account in the organisation co-design lots of things with us and this weekend a, a couple of them said oh this is our last coming to the reference group it's, it's our last time for that and they were like I was like oh really they were like yeah yeah we've got this it's time it's time to move on from the cancer bubble like and I had real mixed emotions but it was a real sense of a job done well it was like what more could you hope for as an organization that you have a young person stood in front of you saying you know I've got this it's time for me to step away from click sergeant I think I'm going to be okay but equally it makes you want to cry because lots of these young people we've been with them on a long journey and I I know them well and have been challenged by them even appointed by them Mm. uh, because you know a lot of recruitment's done by young people so so it's bittersweet but mm. just amazing what about you as a leader and your vision for sort of your next sort of 20 30, 40 years uh, <laughs> of leadership you and I, that's just going up and up as, well, as I calculate you know what's what's our responsibility as leaders to kind of lead leave some sort of personal legacy on the sector on the cause in the terms of my career and where I'm moving on I think some of those things are starting to influence my thinking more you know earlier on in my career it's very much kind of really ambitious for myself as well as for the organization but wanting to prove myself as well as kind of have those big wins for the beneficiary groups that I'm working with increasingly I'm kind of starting to think about that legacy piece you know I've done 25 years in the sector I hope I've got 25 more and I think in this second half of my career I really want to change the world sounds really corny but I'm probably as driven as many of the founders I meet I will never be a founder of a charity but I want to change something in this sector and I I think about what that might be I would love to do more around people really wanting to embrace working in charities as a career and seeing that from the start and not kind of where you end up and then realize you love it very late in life I, I would love to do more around the 
evil that is cost ratios and people understanding about how we are funded and why we work like we do and that we're a professional body. So I think increasingly my ambitions are around really driving some more of that change and that positioning. But I will always work or I mean, I see myself always working in a service delivery charity because, um, you know, I deeply admire the role you do, Vicky, but I love being able to go and talk with a family whose child's got cancer and remind myself why I come to work. I'm sure you do that with lots of us chief executives. I think there's loads more to be done. I will never work anywhere else. I love this sector. I I am in no way impartial about it. I love it. I will defend it to anybody. And I I think there's loads more to be done in driving. It's been fantastic to chat to you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you very much for joining us. This was Leadership Worth Sharing, the podcast by and for civil society leaders. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again in a few weeks. If you want to know more about Akivo, check out our website, akivo.org.uk. That's A-C-E-V-O.org. And follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Goodbye.